Hey, what's up, everybody? We are back for another episode of The Journey Up, an entrepreneur's guide. I'm your host, Bryce Osepic. Uh, I am a real estate broker in uh, Jacksonville, Florida for Anabasis Realty, as well as a partner in uh, Anabasis Real Estate Investment Trust. Uh, I am here talking with uh, my good friend, Josh Rusin today, and we're so excited to have him on the podcast because he's got a wealth of knowledge in multifamily investment real estate and uh, a whole lot of other things. So um, we're going to get right into it. And uh, if you guys have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But uh, thanks for coming on the show today, Josh. Bryce, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here and hopefully add some value to your audience. Yeah, of course, exactly. And obviously, you know, um, the first thing that I like to talk about with you is, you know, just your business. I know it's multifamily wealth nation, um, is, is your company. Uh, and I just like to at least first hear a little bit more about that and kind of what you do. Yeah, Bryce. So I really have two components of what I do in business. The first is the actual investment arm and that's uh -huh. where obviously we own and operate multifamily real estate. And then the second and newest company that we're actually launching in January, like uh -huh. you brought up, is Multifamily Wealth Nation. So what okay. this is, is a real estate investment education company. Now, in my journey, when I got started in 2015 till now, mm -hmm. I've worked for real estate educators. I've helped build real estate investment education companies. And then I've joined a lot of education groups, masterminds, uh -huh. et cetera, different mentorships. And a lot of them were really good. Some were okay, but none of them really scratched the itch that I wanted, right? Yeah. Like I always thought I could do it better. And mm -hmm. the awesome thing about being in a capitalistic society is you can bring your idea to market and see if it really is better. Yeah, exactly. So this is where we're excited to kind of teach this knowledge and how to build this business to people that want to get into it. And really put our money where our mouth is, partner with them on deals and help mm -hmm. them get deals to the finish line. So more okay. than the education, help with the implementation of it as well. Yeah. So you're just getting started in, in launching multifamily wealth nation. Um, what's kind of the, the process and stage that you're, that you're at now with the company? Are, are you bringing on people uh, as, you know, potential, uh, you know, partners in multifamily wealth nation, or are you kind of just finalizing the pieces to get it started? So a little bit of both. The, uh -huh. the official launch is January 1st. So we're right there. Okay. And right now we, we are enrolling students pre-launch. Uh, however, we have the back end mostly set up, right? So we have a full online training center, which is like a, a full degree or a business in a box for multifamily investing. Yeah. Also, we're crowdsourcing the genius. So Bryce, like you know, we've done very well here. However, there's people that are further than us. So selfishly, I'm bringing them in to teach so I can learn from them as well as the students yeah, we have. Exactly. We're having in-person events because, as you know, commercial is a, a team sport and your network is correlated to your net worth. Yeah, for and so sure. So we can get them to network, build relationships, mm -hmm. and then provide weekly classes where it's like group coaching where they can get access to these mentors and really mm -hmm. get around the hurdles to get out there and build this business. Yeah, that's, that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for you. Would you say that how your structuring your company now is different because I know you said you felt you could do it better. It's different than the other companies that you worked for that were real estate investing education. What are kind of the, the differences? What sets you apart? Dude, that's a great question. I'm really excited to answer it. So one thing that I didn't like is a lot of them were just littered with upsells. I mean, you mm -hmm. join, you pay X amount of money and then it's behind door number two, door mm -hmm. number three. They're hitting you for another five, 10, 15, $20,000. Mm -hmm. Well, what we wanted to do was have it all inclusive and really focus on student success and student experience. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is a lot of them are 20, 25, 30, $35,000. Yeah. You know, we're doing they can get expensive for, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> 7,500 bucks, right? So yeah. our focus is to make money from the real estate. Mm -hmm. Of course, have the education cover its own costs. Yeah. Uh, but really source deals and source capital from the group as well. 
Yeah, it makes sense. You're you're really leveraging the like you said, network to net worth. You're trying to bring people together to you know affect deals. Um, so you've got a, a pretty decent um, you know culmination of different investors and, and network uh, that you already have that you're going to bring into the company. Yeah, one thing I, I got really lucky with is adding value to a lot of people that were much more experienced than myself, mm-hmm. and that allowed me to build the relationship with these people. And so when yeah. they you know, I'm able to create win-win spotlighting them in front of a large group of people and then having them display their knowledge. And as you know, teaching is the highest form of learning. So yeah, for sure. You have to know it well. Yeah. You have to know it well, for sure. Do you spend like a lot of time researching, going to networking events and, and, and building your, your knowledge and and your clientele to, you know, always stay on top of the game? Cause obviously it's always changing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's important, right? Because if you don't, you're like a dinosaur, you're going to die yeah. out. Right? So I, I agree with that. And yeah, I've joined masterminds such as like GoBundance, okay. that has a, a certain net worth requirement and been able to meet a lot of friends there. I've actually never heard of that before. Really? You should mm-hmm. check it out. GoBundance yeah. is pretty cool, man. What, what What's kind of going on with that? Okay, is so that here in Jacksonville? No, no, no. So they're nationwide and they okay. have events. And so what it is, you have to have a seven figure net worth to join the group. Mm-hmm. And then they have these experience events. And so the first one I went to was in 2018 in Austin mm-hmm. and it was maybe 40 people. And what yeah. was really cool is just the caliber of people and the caliber of the event. So for mm-hmm. example, at that event, we had Hal Elrod speak in front of a group of 40 of us, right? So the oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Aubrey Marcus who co-founded on it with Joe Rogan spoke with us there. We did, we went out to, um, Lake Travis out in Austin. Mm-hmm. And then we did those little like where the hoverboard where it shoots water under your feet. We did yeah. that. We did Nyland surf park and did surf lessons. Oh, so dude, it was just fun. Inc- too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, awesome. Good bonding with high level people. And then yeah. I have friends from that network that I'm still very close friends with that were honestly way, way ahead of me in life. Yeah. And I've just been able to add value to them and build that relationship. So create yeah. win wins. I think that's awesome because it definitely correlates um, to your success in life is the people that you run in and you're with in your circles. So that's awesome. Have you heard of the family office club before? That's Richard another, Wilson, right? Yeah, Richard yeah, Wilson. Yeah. yeah, I've actually been to a few of their events. Um, went to one uh, recently in New York City um, in Brooklyn, and that was that was awesome. Got connected with some really, really interesting people. Um people that were, you know, involved in like deep tech and AI and all sorts. So it's not just real estate. There's, you know, a a plethora of different people that you can network with, but that's a really cool, uh, that's a really cool group. And I'm planning on going down to their next one in Fort Lauderdale. So if you're ever interested in, in, in that one, I would definitely recommend checking that out. But, um, obviously a big part of the show that we have, you know, the journey up an entrepreneur's guide, the journey up, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but it literally translates to an ancient Greek um, anabasis, which is my company. So anabasis literally translates to the journey up. And what I want to know from you is your journey up through entrepreneurship, because obviously there's highs, there's lows, there's <laughs> there's ebbs and flows. It's, a, it's not a, a straight line process and really wanted to start at the beginning. Uh, and I know that... Um, you originally uh, wanted to go into medicine, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about kind of your, your, your early stages and kind of your journey in, into where you're at today. Dude, honestly, great question. And I think this is a very valuable lesson for most people because they mm-hmm. see you five, 10 years in the journey. But what they didn't see is the, the struggle through those five or 10 years. To exactly. Get there. So yeah, for important. sure. 
So we'll start with that. I'm in college and I wanted to be a doctor, right? I was passionate about medicine. Actually, health was my biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm working for an orthopedic surgeon. And this guy is one of my first mentors, right? He came from a very middle class family. And yeah. this guy did well, man. Had like 12, 15 cars, was, you know, kind of a, an alpha male in life and just crushing it, right? That's freaking awesome. Yeah. So one day he comes home and he's like, don't go to medical school. I wouldn't let my kids do it. You're crazy. And I'm just like, what? This guy had like a bad day, like something's yeah. going on yeah. here, right? Uh-huh. And so I'm like, dude, I'm confused. What are you talking about? And at this point, I'm four years in. I just invested in a course for the MCAT. It was like 1200 bucks, which was most of the money I had back then. Uh-huh. You know, heading into my, my fifth year, super senior to graduate. Mm-hmm. And what, you, what university were you at? Central Michigan University. Is it you're from Michigan? Yeah, yeah, I grew okay. up there. Okay. So basically this guy's like, don't do it. And I'm like, dude, what do you mean? And he starts Uh talking about, he's like, how much debt do you have from undergrad? So I told him, Mm. he's like, yo, you're going to take out probably another quarter million in medical school. That's four years of your life. Yeah. You're going to accrue interest during residency, during fellowship. You're going to graduate in your early thirties and be four or $500,000 in debt. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, but you make good money. You can escape out of that. And he's like, look, you don't get it. In the Mm nineties, I used to make seven figures a year. He's like, now I'm lucky to make half that. And I'm like, you're complaining about making a half million dollars. Like, mm. good problem to have, jerk, you know? Yeah. Like, what's wrong mm. with you? Yeah. And he's like, no, you really don't get it. Medicine's changing. You know, most physicians were self-employed when I first started. Now they're becoming employees of the hospital. Yeah. And reimbursements are going down, down, down. He's like, mm. by the time you graduate, I think they'll make one to 200000 a year. And he's like, take that, compound it with your debt. He's like, you'll be probably 40 years old before you get out of that debt. Mm-hmm. So I just pictured and imagined myself starting life at 40 and kind of climbing out of the hole. And it scared me. You don't want to be there. Yeah, for sure. That's a scary situation to be starting at 40. Yeah, absolutely, man. So at that point, I'm like, all right, I have a biology degree. What in the world do you do with that? if I'm not going to go to medical school. So he's like, go into business. I make more money from business than I do being a doctor. So I finish mm-hmm. out school to get the degree. I move home and I decide I want to start a home health care company. So I'm at home. Very interesting. Yeah. And I figured it was low barrier to entry. I had someone at a gym I worked at that did well doing it. And so for six months, I'm going to Starbucks. I'm going to Panera every day. I'm treating it as my office because I, I can't afford an office back then. Uh-huh. And six months in, I have a business like website. I have brochures, LLC, Google voice number, and I didn't generate any revenue. So my parents are like, Josh, this whole thing's a pipe dream. Like time mm-hmm. to grow up and get a job. Yeah. Well, I didn't know the difference between activity and accomplishments. So although I was investing a lot of time and taking a lot of steps, I wasn't taking the right steps in the right order to generate revenue. And so that was a really big learning lesson in my entrepreneur journey. Mm-hmm. So then I got a job. I ha- my parents are going to kick me out. My student loans are starting to come due. I can only defer them for six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, it was a sales job selling weed control and fertilization just to, just to appease my parents, right? Right yeah. down the street. And I wasn't going to give up on my entrepreneurial journey. So I was like, all right, I saved up and I bought my first house and turned that into a rental. And then I found a real estate investment education company out in San Diego called Fortune Builders. And I took a leap to go work for them, A, to increase my income on the sales side, but B, really to get the knowledge that they had. And as you know, it's either pay to play or seek to serve. I didn't Mm -hmm. have a ton of money then. Mm -hmm. So I went with a seek to serve route to add value to those guys and then to get around the network. Mm -hmm. What was the kind of business model for fortune builders? Like what were you working on when you were there? Yeah, that's great. So I was inside sales. So to Mm -hmm. kind of bring it back with fortune builders, those guys were probably the biggest real estate investment education company on the single family home side. The owner, Than, Mm -hmm. absolute rock star. He was the show of or star of the show flip this house. 
which I don't know if you remember, but it was the first HGTV yes. home uh-huh. flipping show. Yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> and the dude went to Yale, played in the NFL. So he had a, a pretty cool track record. And yeah. so what they would do is they would have those large seminars, kind of the run of the back of the room ones. And then mm. the people that didn't buy, I would take them as inside sales and sell them an education package anywhere from 500 to just over $50,000. Okay. I would. I can't imagine that would probably be a hell of a story from that guy that owns. Uh, you said Than is his name. Yeah. Man, he's probably got a crazy story. I would. I would like to hear that one day. But um, you had a second company that you worked for as well, right? That was um, also real estate education afterwards. Yeah. So this is actually a great story. So 2017, I'm working for Fortune Builders, and uh-huh. we got to a point. A buddy and I that were really close, where we're just grinding like 65, 70 hours a week. We're making really good money, a couple hundred grand. A Mm -hmm. However, upper management was already set and I just couldn't trade any more time for money. So we're looking around at what's next. And Mm -hmm. we were like, we're really good at sales. We're really, really good at sales. Yeah. So we paid $7,500 for one hour, one-on-one with Grant Cardone. Because at the time he was known for sales training. Yeah. So fly from San Diego to Miami and meet with Grant. And he says, hey, son, if I was your age and could do it all over again, I'd skip sales training and I'd go straight into apartment investing. He's like, if I did that, I'd be a billionaire instead of a millionaire, the mm. only question is how many times over. Yeah. So obviously for those of you that know Grant, super bold dude. Yeah, he's he's super bold for sure. <laughs> but it had some validity to it, right? Oh, yeah. He had a nine figure net worth. And so at that time though, we weren't even millionaires. So we were like, but but billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. And so took that with a grain of salt, flew back, had lunch with Dan, the owner of the company we were working with. Mm. And independently he said, I wish I, if he could do it all over again, he would have skipped residential and went straight to commercial. So at this point I had two people that I knew had nine figure net worths that were saying, Hey, commercial multifamily is the way to go. Mm. At that point, I'm all in, man. I'm going to like podcasts, YouTube, reading all the books I can, Mm. starting to buy courses. And then my buddy Dylan, who went to Grant, basically called these guys, Jake and Gino, who were multifamily investors that were trying to start an education company. Mm. And it was like, Hey, I see you guys are trying to start this. I work for a big real estate education company. I'll help you build that company. Teach me how to invest. Mm. Well, they were like, hey, kid, eh, sorry, probably not going to happen. And being in San Diego at the time, obviously not a very landlord-friendly state. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) you got to buy stuff burnt down to the ground to make it work. He quits his job, moves to Atlanta to start building his commercial real estate business. And we had enough single-family homes, or he did at the time, to cover his his bills. So he had no risk of going broke. Yeah. Well, these guys, Jake and Gino, call back, and they're like, hey, look, we're looking at taking someone on. Are you still available? And he's like, look, I can't do it, but I know someone who'd be a good fit. So he puts mm-hmm. him in touch with me. Mm-hmm. And Bryce, this really was a big fork in my journey because going to leave a, a, something where I was making a few hundred grand a year to mm-hmm. take a risk to work for a startup where I'm the first employee yeah. taking a 50K base with some upside as the company grew, mm-hmm. it's kind of a scary decision. But ultimately, sure. um, I consulted with at the time, I had a John Maxwell leadership coach. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was the, the certainty of outcome staying with the company I was at was scarier than uh-huh. taking a risk, betting on myself to go build something to accomplish my goals. So yeah, early 2018, I took the leap, moved to St. Augustine, mm-hmm. and started building a, a real estate investment education company for multifamily mm-hmm. uh, with these guys, Jake and Gino. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Jake and Gino. I know we had kind of talked a little bit more about them, but I actually haven't seen their content before, but it seems like they have a pretty wide reach. What was kind of the the focus of their their content and their um, their educational company? 
Yeah, that's great. So they, they were experienced investors, right? Mm-hmm. Jake and Gino owned a couple hundred units at the time in Knoxville, Tennessee that they owned with their own money mm-hmm. and they were vertically integrated. So they had the experience to teach it. They were doing yeah. very well. Mm-hmm. And so the education, uh, Gino is very passionate about knowledge and helping others, right? And so mm-hmm. you can see it was coming from a good spot which if you're going to work with an educator, you want someone who's in it for the right reason. Yeah, right? exactly. So with that, the, the goal was to be able to help others transform their life, right? You're not working for a Coca-Cola where you're selling sugar water. You're <laughs> offering education. Like I couldn't go to Flagler and be like, yo, I want to learn how to buy apartments. They teach yeah. you how to get a job and be a, you know, an employee. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to be able to do that, provide the knowledge, education, systems, tools, and then the network to help someone create success. And so we were able to scale that business. And then I was able to learn from them on the investment side, grow my business, and then get to a point where I was able to take the leap full time. That's freaking awesome. So, you know, I wanted to go back to, you said that that was such a scary point in your life, like making that transition from, you know, making a couple hundred grand a year and going and working for a startup. I think that that's a a huge, like valuable lesson that a lot of people um, should like really cling on to is that sometimes you really do have to take that, that jump, you know what I mean? Cause I was doing something similar. I was making, you know, decent money at a, at another company. And, you know, when I was, you know, approached with the opportunity to start this business for myself, I, I didn't even get a 50 K base. <laughs> it was yeah. just, you know, do or die. Um, and that's a scary thought, but you know, I think it's very important for, people that want to get into entrepreneurship to have that, um, you know, gut feeling that I would rather bet on myself than know that wherever I'm at now is probably where I'm going to be in 10 years if I don't make the jump, right? The, the, the growth that you'll see with whatever company is, is, is finite. It, it, there's only so much. So I think that's a really awesome point. So um, I'm really happy that you talked about that. Um, so uh, I know you kind of talked about that whole transition and what you're doing. Um, what would you say now, you know, how are you able to stand out amongst the competition? Cause there's a lot of people that are not just investing in real estate, but also doing right now, like courses, you know, real estate education and stuff like that. Like what, what are you doing to, to set yourself apart? Yeah. So let's talk about the investment side and then we'll talk about the education side. So okay. Right now, I think that acquisitions are very, very important. I think, in fact, right now is one of the best buying opportunities we've seen in For a sure. long time, mm-hmm. right? Cap rates are, are up 150 basis points from a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we're doubling down on direct-to-owners, or direct-to-owner campaigns. So sending out mailers, we have an email campaign going out, um, and we're really, really searching for mom-and-pop deals that have heavy value add. Mm-hmm. Where we can, If we can buy it at a 7% interest rate, have the deal make sense, or maybe get some owner financing, then when rates drop two years from now, when we refinance out at a 5 You'll be up big, yeah. Crush. And then yeah. we start with community bank debt, which is 25-year AM, and then when mm-hmm. we refi, we roll it to agency, so stretch the amortization out to 30 usually pull all my cash out or more. And because of the stretch and amortization, that thing's still cash flowing about what it was. Yeah, exactly. That's a freaking awesome strategy. I, I love that. So um, your actual direct to, to owner campaigns, is that what you're doing mostly to, to try and find your apartment deals and your acquisitions right now? Um, 
I know some people kind of do a mix of both, but do you, do you look at on market deals at all? Or are you really focused on your direct to owner mom and pop stuff? Oh. So the answer is both, right? Cause I uh-huh. want all the acquisition channels I can, and I have good relationships with most of the brokers. Uh-huh. However, once something's on market, you're competing against everybody. Everybody. And yeah. If I can eliminate that competition, then that makes it that much easier for us to get better deals. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that, you know, within the last year or so with the big swing in interest rates and everything that's going on in the economy, that sellers are becoming a little bit more pliable? Because I know, you know, back in 2021, you're talking to somebody, they wanted (laughs) top of the market value, even if you're talking to them off market. Yeah. So I think we're starting to see that turn. And I think you're starting to see pain in the market. Like we talked off camera. Yeah. There's people that had variable rate debt where the Uh mortgage payment doubled or people that have bridge loans where now all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's going to be a cash in refi because it's coming due Mm -hmm. to get to some stabilized perm debt. Yeah, exactly. They're saving up for a rate cap and they got to do a a capital call from their investors. So I definitely think that. And also you can't project double digit rent growth like we had the last couple of years with the uncertainty in the economy. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that owners are becoming more reasonable. Uh-huh. And I think that there is opportunity out there if you're looking. Yeah, if you're looking. Exactly. So in your real estate journey, I know you said that uh, your first house was your first rental. Yeah. Would you say that that was like your first deal? Or did you have kind of like a first deal that really stood out to you as like, hey, this really got like my wheels turning and knowing how to not only, you know, learn how to analyze real estate from podcasts and YouTube videos, but actually like doing it, writing the check, taking the action. Yeah. So let's talk about first residential and first commercial deal. Mm-hmm. I think that'll really help illuminate someone's wheels as they get going. So yeah. first one I had, I was working again at the weed control and fertilization company, and I bought a house for just over 102,000, 102,743, the exact purchase price. You still remember it to this day. Oh yeah. It was huge. And then at that point, because my credit wasn't strong enough for my income, I had to have my dad co-sign. I did uh-huh. an FHA loan, so three and a half percent down. So for like five grand, I got into this thing. Now my payment with taxes and insurance was like seven oh seven a month. I moved a buddy from high school mm-hmm. into it for twelve hundred a month. So I'm cash flowing just under five hundred a month. Now you take that and that's a pretty it. good first deal. <laughs> yeah, that's six grand cash, you know, uh, cash on cash first year. So I'm doing over 100% cash on cash year one. Mm-hmm. And then I sold that thing a few years later for 144000 So I took what was, we'll call it five grand, turned it into 50 in a few number, you know, a small number of years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is real. That was incredible. I need yeah. to do it again, mm-hmm. again, and again. Were you going from single family and kind of building single family or did you do that deal and you're like, all right, I got to go right to commercial. What was that kind of like transition? Like, did you do like a good handful of single families before you started like, you know, a duplex, a smaller multifamily deal before you kind of elevated to your like, higher level commercial deals? Was there kind of a, you know, a, a, a pattern? Yeah. So most people I would recommend scaling up duplex, quad, 10 unit. However, I went from single families to large multi. Mm-hmm. So the first multifamily deal I did, we bought in October of 18. It was mm-hmm. a 132 unit deal mm-hmm. bought for 5.9 million. And mm-hmm. this one was in Louisville, Kentucky. It was built between 1979 to 82. It was mm-hmm. a killer, killer deal. These guys inherited it. They were burned out, mom and pop owners, and mm-hmm. we bought it. The rents were at five fifty. Market rent was seven hundred. The NOI okay. takeover was sixty five k. We got a Freddie Mac small balance loan on this deal, mm-hmm. and we raised two point seven million dollars on it. Wow! So then three years later, when we sold this, we were leasing up units over eight hundred. Mm-hmm. The NOI was touching a hundred thousand, and we sold it for ten million. And so the cool part about this was. 
this is the first deal I was able to get my dad in because mm-hmm. and some of my family, because when we syndicated it, I raised yeah. capital for my friends and family. And we ended up with an IRR that was in the low thirties on that deal. And plus, That's awesome. you know, I put money in it as an LP and obviously had shares of the GP. Uh-huh. So that was my first real big hit as a multifamily investor. Mm-hmm. So that one was in Knoxville, Tennessee. You're, you're actually sourcing and looking at deals pretty much all over the country then. Huh? Yeah. So that one was Louisville, Kentucky. We were trying to expand. So that was the goal there, but mm-hmm. most of the assets I have now are in Knoxville and my, my two primary mm-hmm. focus markets now are East Tennessee and Northeast Florida. East Tennessee and Northeast Florida. Why, why East Tennessee? So that's where Jake is, uh, uh-huh. of Jake and Gino. And okay. He's got a, a really good management company, good systems there. Mm-hmm. And it's a good market. It's growing. It's still reasonably affordable. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's you know, very uh, landlord friendly, we'll say. Very landlord friendly. Very interesting. I actually haven't looked into that market before, but I definitely will. I try to stay kind of focused in my backyard, you know what yeah. I mean? Kind of stay around Jacksonville, Northeast Florida. But I think eventually we'll, we'll branch out into other locations. Um, so I thought that was really interesting though, that whole breakdown and synopsis of that deal. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about kind of the challenges that you faced in, in your capital raise? Cause as you and I both know, raising capital is not easy <laughs> for sure. And it, you were definitely able to put um, a pretty large deal together. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, we raised $2.7 million. We did a, a Reg D 506B. So we were able to raise from accredited and sophisticated investors. Mm-hmm. And for me, I went to friends and family, right? That was all the network I had. I didn't have a large real estate network at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was fear there, right? So for example, my father invested from his 401k and he probably wasn't in the position he should have been for retirement. So if I screwed that up, there's a good chance he's the Walmart greeter. And that, that's a yeah, lot of pressure, right? That's a lot of pressure. And then as I went to friends and family, one question I would get continuously is, hey, how much money are you putting in this deal? Mm-hmm. And so I had 75 grand in, and so most people were putting 50. Um, and so that made me feel good, and made them feel good too, knowing mm-hmm. that I had skin in the game alongside them. So the raise okay. was, it was scary, right? Because as you scale up, you're questioning, is this real? Can I really do it? Mm-hmm. Is this really a good deal, right? But then that's the cool thing about real estate is, you could look to the market comps and I could confidently say, hi, Hey, I can get these rents to 700. Mm-hmm. Hey, this property has really good bones. Like mm-hmm. here's my value add budget. Here's what we're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a plan in place. We weren't just hoping and praying it was yeah. going to work. So did you get it under contract before you started the capital raise? Um, like, did you have like a, like a 60 or 90 day inspection period that you were doing the raise or what was your process for that? Yeah, so got it under contract, 60 days due diligence, mm-hmm. you know, started our, our SEC documents, mm-hmm. um, started building all of our, our marketing package for the raise, mm-hmm. and then we had a, a webinar and then calls after to, to get the capital in. Now, fortunately, my mentors at the time, Jake and Gino, mm-hmm. they had A, the net worth to sign on the deal, B, you know, the experience for a Freddie and Fannie loan, or mm-hmm. uh, Freddie on that one, mm-hmm. and then C, they had a network to also help bring in some capital as well. So did you, whenever, whenever you acquired it, did you use bridge debt into agency or did you start with perm since that was already like pretty much a hundred percent occupied? It just had lower rents. Yeah, exactly. Cause this one was stabilized, right? Uh-huh. Freddie and Fannie, you need 90% occupancy for the last 90 days. Mm-hmm. We went straight to Freddie Mac. Okay. So you went straight to Freddie and then just increased, uh, did you have like a full renovation plan in place or did you just increase the rents based on what was already there? Yeah, so definitely not the jerk landlord that just goes in there and, and increases rents without adding value. So yeah. we had a 300K renovation budget. Uh-huh. A big part of that was exteriors first, right? Uh-huh. So when someone pulls up, you want them to be proud of where they live. For sure. Tenants to be like, wow, this is an awesome place. So we uh-huh. stripe and sealed the parking lots. Uh-huh. We added a dog park, which is an 
awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, ability. that is an it's awesome. Very little. You know, we built a gazebo with a little grill area, and then we increased the landscaping, right? So hedging mm-hmm. and doing the things that most people won't do. Mm-hmm. And then interiors, they were a little outdated, right? Again, this yeah. was a burnt-out landlord that, although they weren't increasing rents, mm-hmm. it was still kept clean. It just was a little bit outdated. So yeah. we went in and put in luxury vinyl plank. We resurfaced the countertops. We painted the cabinets and put in new knobs. Mm-hmm. And we did repose gray on the walls. That's actually a really decent renovation budget for a hundred something units. That's, that's pretty cheap. Did you have some contractors that you were, or, or Jake and Gino or whoever were in touch with up there? Cause obviously you want to have the, the right construction people in place whenever you're enacting a, a sizable renovation budget. Yeah. And that's a great observation. So Jake owns Rand property management. So we're vertically integrated mm-hmm. and being that we were able to save some money with him owning the management company. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. That's awesome though. So that, that probably helped increase your IRR significantly. You're not putting a, a huge renovation budget in place. You're, you're, you're putting a, a reasonable renovation budget in place. And I think that that's really important for people to understand whenever they're getting started in investing is that um, there are a lot of contractors out there that will jerk you around for sure. Especially if they think that you may not be experienced in what you're doing, you know, they'll say, Oh, this, this place needs to go all the way down to the studs and then rebuilt completely. And then your budget's going through the roof. Um, So that's definitely a huge part of, uh, of investing is making sure that you have not only like property management contacts to make sure that the the building's being managed properly, but the right contractors in place to enact a, you know, a solid renovation. Yeah. You bring up a good point there, right? People can make a lot of money in real estate as well, but they can also lose money. And mm-hmm. that's the reason why we started multifamily wealth nation is the difference there is that education and knowledge. How do you vet the management company? How yeah. do you asset manage them while they're property managing? Right. Uh-huh. How do you know that they're on track? And like you said, not jerking you around, and uh-huh. that knowledge is quite literally the difference between difference, making sure. a ton of money or losing your shirt. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I know in, in your company, you kind of, you know, have a whole, you know, array of different, um, you know, education systems and stuff. What would you say is, um, obviously, in, in my opinion, I think that, it, you know, the analysis of the deal is the most important part of the entire thing. Obviously, you can you can source deals to the cows come home, you can raise capital, but like you said, you can lose money if you're putting money into a deal and it's not done correctly. Um, what, you know, advice would you give for people that are still, you know, learning and trying to understand the analysis of, you know, a multifamily deal? Oh, that's awesome. So let's break this down at a high level. In my opinion, you have to look at about a hundred deals to get one. Mm-hmm. So let's take the hundred, let's say 70 of them. We're going to do a quick analysis to figure out a, it doesn't fit our criteria, whether mm-hmm. it's in a flood zone or it's, it's not the vintage we look for, or the median income in the area is too low. Mm-hmm. That'll allow us to not waste our time and do a deep, deep dive on all hundred deals. Mm-hmm. Now we're left with 30 that sort of fit our buy box. They might be close on returns. What are, what are those, those first entry level key factors, what are, what are some, like what median income and, and what things are you looking for before you just throw it out really quickly? Yeah, that's a great question. So the absolute first thing I do when I get a deal is I'll go to the census tract and I'll look at the median income of that area and mm-hmm. then those around it. If it's not north of 40K, done right mm-hmm. there, right? Like I don't buy D-class assets in mm-hmm. areas, no way. I'm not skilled at that type of management. Yeah. The next thing I'll look for is flood zones. Uh, I prefer not to buy in a flood zone. As you know, in Florida, insurance is already hard enough. For sure. <laughs> it only makes it a lot harder. It only right? makes it harder, yeah. 
Um, from there, I'll do a, a quick analysis, right? And I'll figure out if I'm close on price. So at mm -hmm. that point, I'll take their actual income and then I'll do about a 50% expense ratio just as a rule of thumb. Uh -huh. And then I'll figure out, I'll plug my debt in and, and kind of see where their turns are penciling out. And then uh -huh. I'll take the broker's pro forma to see where it goes as well. Now, yeah. You and I both know the broker's, broker's pro forma, forma is yeah, not always accurate. <laughs> it's trust, but verify, right? Yeah, so exactly. you're saying, Hey, this, this is the absolute best case scenario possible. Mm -hmm. and when I mean yeah. absolute best, I mean, it's like absolute, absolute best. best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you got to take that for what it is. So mm -hmm. at that point, if I'm close, you know, not like half the purchase price they're asking, mm -hmm. have the deal make sense. Uh, you know, if I'm within 20%, I'll go in and do a deep dive analysis. So I'll verify yeah. what my taxes would be. I'll get uh -huh. an insurance quote. I'll, I'll plug in what it would take for me to run it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll build a rent comp matrix to verify what I believe I can get rents to at mm -hmm. the level of renovation I plan to do. What are you using for your rent comps? Cause I know you're looking at deals in, in multiple areas. Do you, you know, go off of MLS? Do you use apartments.com? Do you use, you know, prop stream? You know, what, what's your avenue for running comps? Yeah. Quick and dirty. I have CoStar that works. Mm -hmm. However, we always want to trust, but verify again, these mm -hmm. are large deals that we want to make sure we're absolutely confident on the numbers. So I like apartments.com and then I try to find similar assets. So similar vintage, similar mm -hmm. levels of rehab, and then see what they're able to get on a price per square foot basis. Yeah. On a, you know, if it's a one, one on a one, one, and then I know what I can do on that deal. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like that strategy. I think like you were talking about before with the, the, the broker's opinion <laughs> almost <laughs> of, of the financials, a lot of people don't realize whenever you buy an asset at a new price, it's going to get reassessed. Your taxes are going to go up. Your insurance is going to go up based on that value. A lot of brokers don't actually put that into the pro forma. They'll put at what the current tax and insurance level is and try and you know, make you run your numbers off of that. But, um, the expenses are going to go up no matter what, whenever you buy a new asset. So I definitely would recommend people to look into that beforehand. Um, so, you know, we've talked about a whole lot of stuff. Um, you know, I know, you know, some of your deals you had broke down a little bit for me. Um, what would you say are the type of deals that you really specialize in? You're saying that um, you have a certain vintage that you go for. I mean, are you only doing value add? Will you do, you know, other types of like, you know, new construction or different types of multifamily deals? Cause there's, there's a, a ton of different types. What, what would you say is, is your focus and then why? Yeah, that's awesome. So our bread and butter is value add. So mm -hmm. B and C class area or B and C class assets and A through C plus areas. And the goal being rents at least 20% below market, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking for like seventies vintage or newer. Mm -hmm. And we like the value add component because once you increase the income, you're able to force so much appreciation in the equity mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to really, really do a good job at truthfully restoring units that are not at their full potential, providing yeah. a clean, safe, modern, affordable spot for people to live. Yeah. And something we really feel good about. Because if you look around at most of the new construction, it's all A-class. Mm -hmm. It has to be to make sense financially. And so there's really a lack of clean, modern, affordable housing in the C-class space. So that's yeah, for that's sure. our bread and butter and that's our niche. Eventually, I would love to transition to the A-class. Mm -hmm. I have buddies that are doing it and they'll get them on the lease up, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of these deals, in order to get agency debt, they're trying to stabilize these things as fast as possible. So they're getting the, the occupancy up, mm -hmm. offering concessions. And then what my buddy will do is he'll buy them. And he'll get the rents to market rate and mm -hmm. he'll get them up over time. And those are a little bit less headache. Yeah. As you know, a little bit better tenant, a little bit better, less maintenance on the property. 
Uh, so they're just doing forced appreciation based on what the rent actually should be uh, because the new construction, um, you know, investors are just leasing it for whatever they can to get out of their construction loan, basically. Yeah, because they got to hit occupancy requirements before mm-hmm. their, their debt is up, right? Before it's, yeah. at, uh, you know, it's matured to get to stabilize loans. Yeah, so you talked a little bit before about how when you did your first deal that uh, your partner had um, kind of the experience necessary to even qualify for one of those loans. Um, what, you know, would you tell, you know, potential investors that are interested in getting into larger multifamily deals, what type of experience they need to qualify for these types of loans? And, um, you know, if they don't have it, how they can get it or who they need to partner with. Yeah. So just getting started, what you're going to want to do is definitely hitch your wagon to a moving train, right? So find someone that has the results that you want, Mm -hmm. that you know, like, and trust, so believes that they care for you and that they're willing to invest in you. Now, a lot of time, these people, you're going to either have to pay to play or seek to serve to get their attention. And for me, again, I, I quit a multiple six-figure job, took an initial haircut financially to go work for them, but I knew that it was two steps backwards for five steps forward, and yeah. it paid off, right? And I bet on me, like I said. Uh-huh. Now, with that, you know, for Freddie or Fanny, especially in an economy that's tightening, they're going to want to see that you've managed like-kind assets before, and they're mm-hmm. probably not going to let you self-manage if it's your first deal as well. Uh-huh. And it's even harder to get "quote unquote" your Fannie Mae card, right? They're very strict on their lending. Yeah. And so, if you can find ways to add value to someone like that, and then put in the sweat equity, right? You may mm-hmm. not have all the money up front. That first deal, I only put seventy-five grand in as an LP. So it yeah. Wasn't a, it was good money, but not a large sum of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. At that point, you'll start getting more experience, more knowledge, and, and more, truthfully, equity, and then money, right? And then you're in the position to take more of the deal as you grow and scale. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend for somebody's first multifamily deal to do syndication, or would like what would you recommend for the first deal? Yeah, so again, this isn't the path I took, but I mm-hmm. think scaling up from maybe like a, a duplex to a 10-unit is a good way to go. Mm-hmm. As I've transitioned and made more money, my strategy has shifted from syndication to buying smaller mom-and-pop deals with uh-huh. my own money with a couple partners and then using the refi and roll approach. So taking that deal, forcing appreciation, learning it, you're sort of, you know, have the training wheels on with a, a yeah. smaller deal uh-huh. and then really, really perfecting your systems, your knowledge, your asset management. Mm-hmm building those relationships with the bank. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done your value add plan, mm-hmm. refi your money out, roll that into the next deal. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit about your portfolio right now. You said you're, you're working on, you know, uh, a few syndications and now you're buying some mom and pop deals. Um, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. Current portfolio is 11 properties, uh-huh. uh, 442 units. The largest is a syndicated. The other 10 mm-hmm. are joint ventures. So me and a couple partners, mm-hmm. um, the, the current syndication we bought four years ago for 9.75 million. And we actually just listed it with a Kirkland company broker at 15 million about a month ago. So, okay. and that one's in Lexington, Kentucky. That's my last Kentucky property. Last Kentucky one. Yeah. Do you like that market still? Yeah. Yeah. It was good. You know, I just don't have other assets there and, and uh-huh. going from, you know, 143 doors to zero, I think. And, and I don't have a, a residence there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on like you, less markets and doing better. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Um, so what, what was your, your game plan with, with that one? Uh, I know that you said you just listed it. Um, what was the 
kind of strategy in, in acquisition and, and repositioning that asset. Yeah, so very similar to the one in Louisville, right? Mm-hmm. Light value add, bumping the rents, and just running really, really solid management. Mm-hmm. Now, selling it, there's still meat on the bone for another investor, right? Mm-hmm. What we do is a very light renovation. And so they can go in there and they have the ability to first off assume our debt, which is mm-hmm. a 3% you know, or 3 and change interest rate on it. Yeah, And then they can take those classic renovations that we've done and do a more premium renovation and bump the rents even further. Interesting. So go and put like gooseneck faucets, stainless steel appliances, you know, maybe Formica or granite, Mm -hmm. just sort of bump that up and then Mm -hmm. they'll be able to increase the income even further. That's a pretty interesting point you bring up. So um, in your repositioning, would you suggest and do you recommend that it's better to leave a little bit of meat on the bone? Have you done um, projects before where, um, you know, you may have actually, you know, taken it all the way and then that asset may have been kind of hard to get somebody to buy at top stabilization. Yeah. So if you're a syndication, hundred percent, you want to leave some meat on the bone. And in fact, what we've done is we've renovated a few at a more premium renovation mm-hmm. to prove out those rents in that business plan. So that way that syndicator investor that buys it, they know that this is a doable plan, right? It's not a pie in the sky. Yeah. Plan. Uh-huh. Now the, the assets that I own in my own money with my partners, we don't have to do that. And in fact, mm-hmm. we'll, renovate all the units this way we've forced all the appreciation that you can out of it yeah and then do a refinance at that point okay yeah i like that strategy i like that strategy for sure are you um you know open to jvs or other partnerships in the future yeah absolutely again that's the awesome thing with multifamily is you're literally splitting up a watermelon instead of a grape for like a single family home. Yeah. And so there's way, way more there. So you can have partners mm-hmm. very well. And in fact, I believe it's beneficial to with the right partners. Now there's a lot of people that want to get into this and they'll send you on market deals or deals. They haven't underwritten and say it's mm-hmm. a deal. Mm-hmm. I would recommend if you're just getting started, get educated. Don't waste these people's time. You're yeah. going to lose all credibility. You don't get a second chance at first impressions. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are your expectations for 2024? Obviously 2023 has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, you know, the fed just paused their rates. We're probably, I mean, at least from articles that I've seen, looks like we may be seeing a few rate decreases actually for 2024. Um, what are your expectations? How are you, you know, planning and moving into next year with your current assets and potential, you know, acquisitions moving forward? Yeah, so let's talk about current portfolio first. So I all of my uh, portfolios on either community bank debt, so at least a five year term, or mm-hmm. agency debt, which is at least a ten year term. Yeah. So I don't have any you know maturities or any real risk that way. Uh-huh. Um, now we are doubling down on acquisitions. Uh-huh. Uh, this year was a, a harder year to buy, twenty twenty three. Uh-huh. And so I need more write offs. I'm used to the depreciation and paying very little in taxes. Uh-huh. And with bonus depreciation slowly going away, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's harder and harder to get more of that depreciation now. I think it is a great time to buy. There's a uh-huh. lot of new units coming online that the construction will eventually normalize or it has. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually suppressing and even having rents go negative in the A-class space. I think we'll see spillover to the Bs and Cs. Yeah. Because let's say I'm a tenant and I live in a B-class apartment and an A-class down the street is offering the same rent, mm-hmm. but a way nicer spot. I'm, I'm moving up. I'm yeah. upgrading, right? Yeah, so exactly. you'll see that soften a little bit. Now, that may sound like a bad thing. 
mm-hmm. own stuff. And that's why you don't want to get too aggressive on your underwriting. It could hurt you. Right. Yeah, for but sure. What that does is that creates a buying opportunity. And so with cap rates where they are right now, I believe you can get it pretty healthy cash on cash going in. Mm-hmm. And then as long as you have strong operations, I think you'll do very well when interest rates drop and you go to refinance. For sure. I'm definitely looking forward to hopefully that happening. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't know about you, what your you know opinion is on it, but I don't really think rates will go below, you know, six ish, five ish percent ever again. I don't, I don't really believe that we'll see a, a two, three percent interest rate <laughs> ever again, just because of the, you know, crazy economy that, that ensued from them dropping rates that low. Yeah, COVID think? was definitely an anomaly. I, I think they should hit the fives again. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's very hard to predict. And the Federal Reserve, I think they act more in hindsight rather than looking forward. They're more yeah. reactive rather than proactive. They're hasty, for sure. However, yeah. in my underwriting, I, I hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Yeah, right? like exactly. I, if it doesn't work in a moderate scenario, then I'm not buying it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I like to bring up kind of a, a hot topic on uh, every show that we do. I don't know if you've seen um, anything on it. It's very recent. Have you heard of the Corporate Transparency Act that's oh, coming out? Fill in, me in, man. I'm in excited. 2024. Yeah. So the Corporate uh, Transparency Act is a new, um, it was passed in 2021, but it takes effect in 2024. And uh, what it is, it's going to require anybody that owns like all small mom and pop businesses that own LLCs, just like you and I, uh, to submit what's called a beneficial ownership information report to the financial crimes enforcement network, basically to the government. So we're going to have to probably pay more fees and submit more paperwork and relinquish more information about, um, you know, private entity owners to the government. Um, so, you know, I was interested in hearing your thoughts on what, what you think about that. And, um, you know, it's going to affect you next year. Yeah. So it's tough. Obviously having limited knowledge about it, I, Mm -hmm. I don't have the strongest opinion. However, I'm against really, really large government. Yeah, I don't think government's very efficient, right? Uh-huh. Because if you look at a government agency and their budget, if they don't spend all of it, they're penalized, right? Mm-hmm. And that gets reduced. And so there's a lot of waste and inefficiencies. And, and I believe corruption in the government sure. as well. Yeah. So I think that, right, obviously taxes are how they make the world go round. And so I think that the more oversight they do, landlords are getting vilified. We're not a unified group. Yeah. And so that, that does scare me. However, mm-hmm. we're in a state that's very landlord friendly. So I thankfully, yeah, Florida's awesome. Yes. People are moving to Florida at insane rates. I mean, just the amount of people that are moving here. And that's why, honestly, I love Jacksonville because I feel like obviously, you know, Miami, Tampa, Orlando, a lot of the other major markets in, in Florida are just already getting so crowded and so expensive. Yes. Um, I really, believe a lot in um, the future appreciation and what um, Northeast Florida has to offer. Oh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, if you can hold an asset over a long enough period of time, you, you always do well, right? The question mm-hmm. is right now, it's hard to predict rent growth for the next couple of years. I think that expense growth is going to continue to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Insurance and taxes, various things sure. like that. Yeah. And so I think if you can survive the short term while being conservative, long term, you crush with these. Deals. Yeah, for sure. Are you planning on holding a lot of these deals for, you know, a long, long period of time? I know a lot of investors kind of have more of the three to five year hold model before they'll, um, you know, sell an asset and kind of move on to the next one and reposition their finances. 
Yeah, so that's definitely my goal. And a lot of times when you look at a syndicator, it's basically a long-term flip, right? Like uh-huh. a three-year, five-year flip. Uh-huh. However, what I don't like about that is, so once you sell, you have this large capital gains event, right? Mm-hmm. So you have income to be taxed. When you refi, it's a loan. That's tax-free. Yeah. And then I still own that asset. None of my own money in it. It's still paying me every month. And my mm-hmm. goal is passive income. My goal is time freedom. So I don't have you know, kids or a wife yet, but ultimately I'd love to be like the kindergarten room dad, coach little league with my family and, and travel the world with them. And I think Sounds that, awesome. yeah, these assets allow that. And then ultimately one day to be able to pass them down to them because mm-hmm. you and I both know you can't pass down your job. No, for sure. And you know, where you're at right now, let's say all of the properties that you have are on 30 year debt notes by the time you retire, those should be paid off 100% unless you, you know, continue to refi them, but they should be paid off 100%. And then you're sitting on all that equity as well as all of the, the cash flow, the net operating income for those assets. Um, so are you saying that you would, you would rather refinance an asset than sell it and reposition it with the gain? Have you done a 1031 before? Haven't done a 1031 or a Delaware statutory, statutory trust. However, mm. I have continued to just because of velocity of capital, right? Yeah. Your return on equity is very little to low. And for me, it's about how hard can I make my money work for me? Yeah. So if I can refinance that money out and buy another asset rather than it sitting in that one, sure, my cash flow might go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. The velocity of my capital goes up overall. Yeah. Interesting. I like that. What has been your biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome as a real estate investor? Oh man, great question. So again, I mentioned 2017, I started studying apartment investing. And mm-hmm. when I got into it, I didn't know anyone who did it. I was like, can I even buy these things? Uh-huh. It took me 13 months to buy my first deal. So picture and imagine this, you know, you're working, you're taking your nights, your weekends, calling these brokers. You know, I'm a kid in my, my late 20s at the time. Yeah. And at points, doubt creeps in. Can I do this, right? Because mm-hmm. if I would have thrown the towel in on multifamily eight months in, I would have given eight months of my life for no return, yeah. zero, just uh-huh. gave up. Uh-huh. And so having that belief that I can do this and, and really not giving into that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. was well worth it. For sure. Definitely difficult, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, what are your goals for the future? Obviously, you've got, you know, uh, 11 properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those 11 properties, a, a crazy amount of, of doors and actual, you know, worth in real estate um, you know, sizable deals. Um, what's your, what's your goals for the future? Um, and you know, what kind of deals are you going to continue to, to work towards? And, um, you know, what, you know, what are your financial goals and your asset goals? Yeah, that's great. So my goal is to pay the price now so I can pay any price later. And again, it's not Mm -hmm. money that I'm after, but it's time freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So before I have kids to be able to really create the success I'm looking for to know that no matter what happens in this world, that we're fine and we're taking care of. Right. We have hard assets. Yeah. And so how I get there now is growing the two companies mm-hmm. almost work hand in hand. So with multifamily wealth nation, truly, I want to change people's lives. I want to be mm-hmm. able to inspire, educate, leave this world in a better place. Mm-hmm. But also it's going to allow me to, to put my money where my mouth is and partner on deals with them. Right. So mm-hmm. it's going to increase deal flow here locally. Uh-huh. And then also as a marketing channel, it'll allow me to raise capital as larger deals continue to come across my plate that I wouldn't be able to take down without syndicating. Yeah. So meeting guys like you that I can partner with and really to grow my portfolio. Mm-hmm. So with that, it's continue to buy deals on my own, the uh-huh. small ones that I can take down, and then the larger deals partner and syndicate, um, or even raise capital for other operators' deals as mm-hmm. our, our network grows. I would love to do a deal with you. Let's do it, <laughs> yeah, man. so I'm definitely 
glad that we got connected and, and got to talk a little bit more because I would definitely love to. Um, let's say, you know, you, you hit those goals, you reach those goals. You know, what what would you like to actually do? Uh, you know, traveling, family-wise, um, what, what are you looking forward to once you reach financial freedom? Oh, man. I think at that point it's working because I want to, not because I have to. And it's not that I have to now, but mm-hmm. I definitely know that I have more potential and I don't want to leave that unfulfilled. Yeah. But ultimately, like I said, it's it's exploring the world with my family, living this life to the fullest mm-hmm. and being able to, to do things like coach sports with my kids to show yeah. up at it and know that I don't have to do anything. I get to, I get to do the work and mm-hmm. then I have the opportunity to, to be at all their events and, and do all that stuff and just be a, a huge part of their life growing up. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Um, you're living in St. Augustine now. Yes. When did you move to St. Augustine? Uh, dude, this is great too. So 2018. So I had sold everything I had in the single family home side. I moved mm-hmm. here and I have a good amount of capital. And like I said, I basically, okay, I'd never even been to the city, took the leap, took a job here, yeah. right? Rented a place. What brought you to it? Like, did you, had you visited before? So Gino lives on Anastasia Island in St. Augustine. And then okay. Jake lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I, I moved to Knoxville for a little bit as well. However, mm-hmm. Moved here, I'm sitting on all this capital. And again, the multifamily game, you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, can I do a deal? Is this real? Mm-hmm. So I actually bought an Airbnb uh, in 2018 in downtown St. Augustine. Just I haven't done a short-term rental before, actually. Really? It uh-huh. did well. Really? And so I bought this house in, in Lincolnville. And obviously, everything in Florida is appreciated. And mm-hmm. Lincolnville is specifically has gentrified as well. Lincolnville is awesome. I was just there yesterday, actually. Uh. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's been really awesome. And then I moved into the house when I moved back to St. Augustine in 2021. So I went to Knoxville for two years in between. Okay. Gotcha. And you, you just love the St. Augustine area. Have you, have you done some, some multifamily or any type of deals in St. Augustine yet? House flips or anything? I haven't yet there. It's hard, the price per square foot to get it to make sense. I agree. Uh, however, I'm hopeful that with the direct to owner campaign, you'll find someone who's, who's burned out, right? They inherited it. Mm-hmm. They haven't raised rents in years. So we're, we're still hopeful there. Yeah. However, like you, I am very bullish on Jacksonville, right? Downtown, mm-hmm. the Springfield market. Yeah, for sure. Do, have you seen a, a decent amount of, of deals show face here in Northeast Florida? Because, you know, me living here for a while, doing real estate for a while, I definitely would say um, there are great deals to be had here, but I would say that the the opportunities can be scarce at times uh, with, you know, the the amount of multifamily deals in the space. Uh, yeah, transaction volume is definitely down, so that's yeah. a fact, right? And that's why we started the direct-to-owner campaign. Uh-huh. And so although we're seeing deals, uh, right now currently we, we don't have anything lined up we're taking swings and keeping in touch and our strategy Mm -hmm. really is more relationships than transactional meaning let's say you and i connect Mm -hmm. and you have a deal and and you don't want to sell right now but if i keep in touch with you add value build that relationship maybe Mm -hmm. three years down the road you do want to sell and actually i have a really good example of this i met a gentleman he owns a five unit in springfield and he went through and completely rehabbed this unit i mean this thing it was condemned when he bought it Mm -hmm. now when I met with him, what I found out was he's in his early 60s. He, he and his wife have no kids. And mm-hmm. so they don't have a plan to pass it on. And, you know, because I took the time to meet with him and really took an interest in his story in a genuine way, right? Not yeah. a transactional way. Uh-huh. He brought up in passing, well, hey, maybe when I retire in a couple of years, I sell it to you. Uh-huh. So at that point, sure, that may not come to fruition instantly. However, if you have enough of these seeds planted, eventually mm-hmm. some will blossom. And that's how you get those home run deals. So, you know, you had that five unit seller that you were talking to in Springfield and he's got, you know, a, a great relationship that you've built with him over time. How would you say that your, 
you know, working to build relationships with your sellers. Cause obviously you're doing like cold outreach campaigns, right? You're, you're sending direct mail, you're, you know, calling people to try and get in touch with them. How are you, you know, really building a relationship with them? Are you meeting with them in person, having lunch? What's your process with a seller? Yeah, great question. So there's a few different things. One is just taking a genuine interest in them. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, again, this guy is 63 years old. So he's lived a little bit more life than I have. In fact, you know, darn near 30 years more than I yeah, have. Yeah, almost twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's been through a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So hearing his story, how did he get where he's at? Why did he build, build this building or buy it? What challenges did he have? Mm -hmm. What are his goals in the future? And then getting to know that. And then also keeping in touch. So mm -hmm. little things like following him every six months, seeing how he's doing and, and trying mm -hmm. to add value. But I agree, like you said, meeting in person. I think that really builds the relationship. Yeah. And then when we're out, whether it's coffee or dinner or lunch, mm -hmm. I always make sure to pick up the check. Yeah, for sure. Do, do you have like a like a rolling spreadsheet or like reminder system of like when to follow up with people every six months or so often or What's your, what's your process for that? Yeah, it's great. So we use HubSpot as our CRM for okay. our sellers. And uh -huh. in there, of course, we do have reminders and it's tied to mm -hmm. my Google calendar. So it helps with that. Uh -huh. so yeah, there's no way I could keep track of all that in my brain. And yeah. in fact, a lot would slip through the cracks. So I uh -huh. think if you're doing this at scale or even for starting, if you can use a CRM, it allows you to scale, right? Mm -hmm. Having systems in place for all of this. For sure. Yeah, I haven't used HubSpot before. What is, is is that a pretty decent software? I I use um Go High Level for for my CRM. Nice, nice. Yeah, we like it a lot. So we started with RE Simply and then we moved uh -huh. to HubSpot just because it had more functions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've I've used a couple different ones, but I've heard of HubSpot before. Well, that's awesome. Um, I actually have a building in Springfield right now that we're redoing. That's that's a six unit building. It's pretty interesting. We. Um, we picked it up. I, I want to say it's like 1920 construction wow. or something like that. It's like a super old building. It's one of those like looks like a single family house, but it's actually uh, like probably been split up at one point into different apartments and stuff. So the front building, it looks like a house, but it's actually a quadplex. And then there was a second building built in 1945 in the back. That's a duplex. Um and uh, I think it's funny because I, I bring this up because you talk about building relationships. Um, I actually got connected with the seller um, from a text message campaign. We were doing a texting campaign and he was like getting up there probably like in his 80s and was uh, this was he had a huge portfolio and this was the last property that he had held on to because it was not only the last property he held on to, but his first deal he ever invested in like, wow. way back in the. 40s or 50s something crazy um so uh, i met with him in person and really like you said kind of took that interest in in not only you know the deal but his life his story what he'd been through and his journey through through real estate and whatnot and um i think he really connected with me on that point and um what's funny full circle we um got the property under contract and i ended up wholesaling it to uh, a buddy who had a buyer in California that picked up the deal, put a good amount of, you know, rehab into it. I would say he probably did half the work wow. uh, and then ran out of, you know, money and resources uh, to continue to push the project forward. And I, you know, had garnered a good relationship when, you know, offloading that deal to them and they reached out to me and were like, hey, um, you know, uh, we need to get this deal off our, off our plate. And, um, I was like, you know what, 
I'll take it. <laughs> like, I don't need to go look for a buyer. I'll, I'll take it off your hands and um, ended up um, getting it at a pretty significant discount, even from appraised value. And um, j we're just finishing the renovations on it right now. And um, we'll look to probably stabilize it here in the future, refi it and move on to the next one. But I just wanted to tell you that story because I thought it was so cool because it really does attest to um, you know, building relationships with sellers and how that can not just, um, you know, bring you a deal. It can also bring you another deal down the line. You never know where your next deal is going to come from. So always, you know, keep your contacts uh, close to you, no matter whether they're a mortgage broker or a wholesaler or whoever they might be. Yeah, I agree to that hundred percent. And in fact, add to that, right. You, they knew that you could close. So they had that mm -hmm. confidence in you and your ability to execute. Mm -hmm. So that allowed you to get it at a price cheaper than if they took it to market. Right. Yeah. A lot of times that certainty is worth a lot. Uh -huh. So it's you, it's your, almost your character and credibility in the space too. So mm -hmm. that's really awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any deals that you're looking forward to in the future that you're working on that, that you might be close on? Um, right now, no. However, we're taking a lot of swings and really, mm -hmm. really doubling down on that. However, the biggest thing we have is going full cycle on that last syndication. Uh -huh. uh, that'll really, A, create a great return for our investors. So that'll reload their pipes for another deal once we have one. Uh -huh. And then also create a, a pretty large liquidity event for myself. That's awesome. I'm super pumped for you. Um, so obviously going back to, you know, multifamily wealth nation and, and all the, the business and deals that you're doing, um, if, you know, somebody that's interested, you know, what's the, what's the best way to, to get involved? Yeah. So watch this. I'll give out my cell phone. I'll take a chance here. So, uh, -huh. uh my cell is 810-348-6689. Uh, another thing is if you want to just go to our website, multifamilywealthnation.com and you click Academy, mm -hmm. uh, we put together a really good free course. It's a couple hours of content, but we spent a few weeks really piecing this together to have mm -hmm. a ton of value. So someone can understand the ins and outs of multifamily and really how they could be a part of this industry as well. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, if you guys are interested in, you know, what Josh has to offer, which I think is a wealth of knowledge and, you know, potential deal sourcing across the board. Um, if you guys are interested, definitely reach out to him, look, look into his website and his company and everything that he's doing. Uh, I think it's super awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, before, you know, we wrap up the show today. Uh, what advice would you give to, uh, you know, people that are just getting started in, in the game or potentially, you know, want to, you know, partner with you? Um, you know, what's uh, what not only in real estate, but just entrepreneurship life in general, what, what would you what would you give, you know, kind of a, a big takeaway? Yeah, so I would say most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five. And what I mean by that is, this is definitely a marathon, not a sprint, right? So mm -hmm. you've got to put in the work and, and really be consistency. And that consistency will get you there over a long enough time horizon. That's awesome. I love that. I've, I've heard that quote before. Um, billionaire guy, right? Um, gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's escaping me. Tony Robbins. I think, oh, I think, yeah. I think he said that, didn't he? Love some Tony Robbins. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's an awesome quote. Um, well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate, um, you know, you coming out, spending some time with you. Um, great as always, and looking forward to doing deals with you in the future and hope you guys, you know, had some takeaway from today's show. There was a, you know, a whole wealth of <laughs> information, uh, regarding investing in multifamily and, you know, 
taking that journey through life and, and really taking a chance on yourself and taking a risk. So, um, you know, if you guys have any questions for Josh, reach out, reach out to him. If you have any questions for me, reach out to me and looking forward to seeing you guys on the next one. And thanks for tuning in. 